Well, I am excited about what God has for us today. I'm also excited about what we'll embark on in the coming weeks. My plan as of right now is for us to focus kind of an introductory um, element of that next Sunday, and then from February until Palm Sunday, for our focus to be various spiritual practices that we may uh, consider adding to or accentuating in our own lives. My approach to it, I've, I've found as I've looked at it, is probably a, a little unique. You know, last summer we did kind of a sprint through Revelation. We jumped over chapters 2 and 3, which are the direct addresses to the seven churches. I want us to revisit those churches one Sunday at a time with a focus on what is the spiritual practice that may have been most applicable for them. You know, every church, just like each one of us, have elements of our lives that uh, uh, God is in the process of uh, transforming or conforming to the life of Jesus. And there is great wisdom, I think, in allowing even some of those spiritual practices, some that have been around for uh, centuries now, to assist in that transformation. And I, I, I think it's, I've, I've talked to my dad a good amount about this. I said, boy, dad, as I, as I first began to think about it, I said, man, that feels real forced. Like, the reason that nobody's done this before is that it's a weird way to do it, and I'm kind of weird, so I think we're going to give it a. I think we're going to give it a try. I made some good progress on it this week as I looked at maybe which which spiritual practice would pair up best with the church, and I think it's kind of a fun way to uh, to approach it. So be praying uh, that as we make our way through, we're going to begin it a couple Sundays before Lent technically begins, but it's kind of a Lenten focus uh, about. Uh, uh, the way that God is drawing us closer to himself. So I am excited about that. Today, though, we uh, remain in the Gospel of Mark, <clears throat> chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. Now after John, who had just baptized Jesus, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately Jesus called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they too followed. May God bless hearing, reading, and reflecting upon his gospel. I was thinking about the job of the first century fishermen. Simon, Andrew, James, and John, what is that? A third of 
Jesus' disciples, the first four of the twelve that would be set aside to follow him, they were fishermen. If there was a job posting for fishermen, maybe some of the included descriptions would be fresh salt air, strenuous labor, long hours, somewhat tedious work, and maybe minimal results. Now, the life of a fisherman would have included beautiful sunrises and sunsets, some camaraderie between the folk on the fishing boat, maybe even a free fish dinner once a week. But it was also an extremely tough job. Would have required an infinite amount of patience. As I understand, fishing still does. I am anything but a fisherman. It would take a strong body and mind. You would have to have a very high level of endurance. The kind of net fishing that Jesus' disciples practiced required a very strong physique. They would haul the nets in and out of the water, often filled with very heavy fish of all sizes and shapes, as well as other creatures that they may or may not have been trying to catch. Not only that, but the nets would often tear. It's probably what these four were addressing as Jesus walked by. They were in the process of mending, literally, their nets. The fishing industry, especially in the first century, was gaining in popularity, in popularity during Jesus' time. And Galilee, where he was, was a prime spot for fishermen to gather and attempt each day to succeed in their quest. The best way to catch a multitude of fish was to use a dragnet. Got a few pictures up there of maybe what that could have looked like. The individual was throwing out an individual dragnet, but there were also much larger ones that a team of fishermen would use. They would be cast, and then they would heave it back in. Hopefully, after the net was filled with fish, it would be hauled manually to the shore by the group. Those casting the net had to literally wade into the sea and then drag it through the water. You can imagine that as they continued to drag it, the weight and the strenuous nature of what they were doing would only increase as more and more fish and other critters were captured by the net. Then they'd return to shore and sort through. There's gospel passage that talks about kind of the sorting of the fish. It was something that Jesus would refer to down the road. And naturally, these four would be very familiar with the process of sorting and scaling and cleaning and eventually selling 
Jesus, in his public call to follow him, the very first was offered to people engaged in this career. Fisher, fishermen. Why fishermen? Sounds like what we were asking a couple of weeks ago. Why shepherds, right? They're kind of the, you know, well, you could certainly make a good living, and it sounds like that James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, they left their father. They had probably a fairly successful operation because they had other folk who were working for him. So you could do well, but it wasn't a glamorous or prestigious necessarily position? Was there intentionality in Jesus' selection of not only these four, but these four with these specific career traits that made them in some ways especially receptive or gifted to be followers of Jesus? Part of Jesus' mission included seeking the lost sheep of Israel. He tells his disciples this many times during the three years of teaching and ministry he had. His mission was to bring God's people home, back to God, back to faith. To do this, he could not simply locate them one by one. But in order to discern their hearts, he needed to address entire regions and vast areas mixed with both those who were foreigners and those who already were part of the Jewish heritage. And among the masses, he could find those who responded to him, those who heart, whose hearts would remember who they were. When Jesus teaches his disciples how to fish for people, he's teaching them the art of the catch, the art of discernment, the art of reaching out to broken people, the art of sometimes catching what you don't necessarily expect. The call that Jesus is extending to Simon and uh, Andrew and James and John would be no ordinary ministry. It would take many of the same attributes that would make them good fishermen. It would be hard work. They would have to be patient and faithful and loyal. Not easily discouraged when things didn't go as they had hoped. There would have to be a willingness to go every day to consistently and vigorously preach the gospel, heal the sick, mend the brokenhearted. The early church, of course, was made up of many kinds of disciples. Among the twelve, there were other career paths that they had selected before being called, just as these four were, to follow Jesus. So I'm not sure that there was anything necessarily, inherently, that set apart these four. But I think you can see the 
day in and day out, starting from scratch, as we may say, casting the net. They would be familiar with, as athletes call it, the the grind, right? Each day, deciding again, I will follow, I will follow, I will follow. The call to follow remains one that is not easy, that is not glamorous, that oftentimes does take a daily or maybe hourly or maybe more frequently decision, that we too will respond to the call of the one walking by us to follow and become his disciples. It remains difficult. The hours remain long and sometimes accompanied with failure. And so endurance is needed and so is a whole lot of faith to continue to cast the net as those who follow Jesus. The life of a disciple of Jesus is a call to serve faithfully in the space that we occupy. Sometimes that location is changed or suddenly or dramatically adjusted, just like it was for Simon and Andrew and James and John, who, as they embarked that day, probably had no expectation that their lives would be forever changed. I was doing some reflecting this week in preparation for Eileen Glenn's service, which did take place on Friday down in Garnett. Thank you for your prayers for that. I was thinking about her life and the various ways that God had asked her to faithfully follow. Most of you knew her husband, Paul whose service was held at that same funeral home. In fact, I mentioned it in in my remarks that day. That same funeral home in July of 2014. We were talking about the weather. Friday ended up a pretty nice day for a drive to Garnett. I was discussing with one of Eileen's sisters that January in Kansas is, 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 you never know, <laughs> right? It can be in the 40s, it can be pushing 50, or it can be 4. Now, July in Kansas, you know. You know what the first uh, week of July in Kansas is going to be like. It is hot and humid. In fact, I remember, I was thinking, I didn't share this part, but I remember leaving, if I can be so, uh, so, uh, Uh, specific. I remember leaving the cemetery in Garnett, Kansas, and taking my suit jacket off when I got to my car and thinking, I'll say like, I'm going to need to get this thing to the dry cleaners because it needs to be washed. I stopped at a little Dairy Queen there in Garnett, got something to drink on on the way home. So I was thinking about Paul, I was thinking about Eileen. Paul, of course, was blind. 
As I looked back at my notes from his service, Eileen had explained to me that it was right around the time that they were married that he had completely lost his vision. Eileen was such a constant, literally constant uh, caregiver and, 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 and always by Paul's side because he couldn't see, right? He needed somebody who could keep him from running into things. And for Paul, that was Eileen for so many decades of their marriage. In July of 2014, I suggested that we take a moment to remember that when Paul passed from this life to the next and his sight was restored, the very first thing that he had seen in decades was the face of the Lord Jesus. And I was taken by that thought. That for those decades of Paul's life, of responding to the call of Jesus, some days, no doubt, more faithfully than others, that it culminated in sight being restored and him laying eyes on the one who he placed his faith in. I was thinking last Friday about the way that Paul relied on Eileen to direct him, to serve as his eyes during the majority of their married life. I was thinking about the way that Scripture teaches that we have what the book of Hebrews calls a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on as we run our race. I think it's fair that we conclude that making up that group of supporters is people who have been important to us on earth. And if that's true, I suggested on Friday that Paul had to be a part of that group for Eileen. Part of her own individual cloud of witnesses. And so when she entered the glories of heaven a few days after Christmas, their roles as they knew them on earth, Eileen as the one who directed Paul, immediately changed. At that point, at that point, Paul became the one to direct her and show her around as the one familiar with the surroundings. Where else could he have taken her but to the throne of the Lord Jesus? And at that point, our faith teaches that Christ Jesus welcomed her one who had responded in faith to his call to her, to be faithful in her life, to be faithful not as a fisherman, as a wife to Paul, as a member of our church, in her work as a manager of a trailer court, each day to respond, yes, I'll follow. And at that point, her following culminated in the Lord Jesus saying to her, Eileen, you finished your race. 
you kept the faith. Well done, my faithful servant. And so today, as the Lord asks us to follow, may we do so faithfully. Amen.